With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 443. It's titled, Five Surprising Insights About Stock Indexes and Funds. In 1995, I became an institutional investment advisor. As we structured portfolios, they typically had large cap growth managers, large cap value managers. We would have the same on the small cap side, growth and value managers that invested in smaller companies. In order to determine which managers to recommend to our clients, we met with hundreds of managers per year, and we had a constant stream of investment managers on the stock side, the bond side, and eventually other asset classes come to our office. The first manager I ever met with was Anchor Capital Advisors, based out of Boston. They just celebrated their 40th anniversary. When I met with a manager, I I didn't really have any idea what to ask them. They typically would have a presentation book. They would go through their charts. I remember asking a fairly detailed follow-up question about their strategy that required some additional work on their part, and I never heard back. So we didn't ever recommend them as a manager. I loved meeting with managers. I was intrigued by both growth style managers and value style managers, and they were represented both styles in our investment portfolios. I would follow their stock picks. Sometimes I would pair at their stock picks. Often it wouldn't go very well. After about six or seven, eight years of doing that, I decided, well, what if we manage money by taking the high conviction stock picks of our top managers on a recommended list and put together a portfolio? Each manager's top 10 holdings. This was more of a, a small to mid-cap style portfolio. And I backtested it. I got the ideas and I spent several months going through a backtest to verify that the best ideas from our top managers would generate excess return. And then we could structure portfolios, model portfolios, or actual portfolios and manage assets in this way. It didn't work. There wasn't any excess return. And that was incredibly frustrating to me because potentially that meant we weren't very good at our job in selecting managers. After spending more time figuring out what was really driving it, I realized that in structuring this portfolio, I was using Vara software to optimize it and to reduce the tracking error, which is the deviation that a portfolio has relative to a benchmark. And the way that you reduce tracking error is you add additional holdings or you reduce weights in particular holdings. And I had reduced the tracking error too much to around, I believe it was 2 to 3% tracking error and effectively neutralized any bets in the portfolio, style bets, factor bets, value, yield. And so I just had a portfolio that was made up a number of holdings, about 100, that closely approximated the index and underperformed the index net of fees. It was at that point I thought, well, what if 
I restructured a portfolio in a similar way, but using ETFs, which had only been around for a few years. And then we could allocate to those factors that were most attractive, be it value, growth, yield, or other elements. That back test worked. Partner and I put up some funds to begin starting a track record. Track record did, did well. We attracted clients and, and eventually grew that investment product to over a billion dollars in assets, mostly certainly capital appreciation, but also new clients. In order to do the research, though, we needed a tool to determine which segment of the stock market and the bond market was most attractive. And it was at that point that we retained Ned Davis Research. This was an institutional research firm that had some, for example, small cap value charts to be able to see the historical valuations, growth, and, and many, many other charts. Ned Davis, the founder of that firm, is 77 or 78 years old. He still goes to the office, I believe, a couple of times a week going through hundreds of charts. It's how he views the markets. And it's, it's very much how I view the markets in terms of managing my own portfolios and as we provide some model portfolio examples on money for the rest of us plus. The charts, though, on Ned Davis Research and the metrics were, were never quite what I wanted. And so after a few years of that at my old firm, we started subscribing to Russell. And Russell would send us a spreadsheet every month with the valuation data on the Russell 1000 value and growth, which are large cap indexes, the Russell 2000 growth and value, small cap. I believe it was primarily domestic. They didn't have non-US as part of that service. But the point is, for many years, I was trying to get better data, better graphs, better ways to, to analyze the market, to see where it was by various metrics, such as the price to earnings ratio, the dividend yield, the price to cash flow relative to its average. And this has been a several decade search. It's been an ongoing frustration since I left my advisory firm. I continued with Ned Davis Research. I paid it out of my own pocket there for a couple years before we launched money for the rest of us. But the data was just never quite what I wanted until a month ago when we launched Asset Camp. This is a, a stock index service geared toward individual investors that contains valuation charts and earnings charts for, at the time, it was 27 stock indexes. It does historical return attributions and expected return analysis. As soon as we launched that, we had a number of individuals join the service, and they pointed out we would really like to analyze growth and value in small cap. And the reality is we should have launched with that, but we didn't because this was an entirely new software platform, and we just wanted to, to actually get it to work and start getting feedback. And so last week, we updated Asset Camp with 19 additional indexes. And now we have value indexes, growth indexes, small cap. And that provided hundreds of more charts. And, and so we, ha we have 46 indexes now. And in some ways, it's a cliche, but I feel like a kid in the candy store because I can analyze growth, value, mid cap, small cap, like I have never been able to do before just be able to see the picture, to see where markets are. And, it, and, and in this episode, I want to share five insights I've learned from spending time with these charts and attribution tables. And there's plenty more to learn. And that's what's so fascinating to me and what makes me so excited about this service, to be able to learn things about the stock market that 
I never knew because I never had the tools to be able to analyze it in the way that I really wanted to analyze it. Index providers like MSCI, and this this service is based on MSCI data, MSCI has over 280,000 indexes. We're using 46 of them, but the 46 that we use cover 99% of the market. And the way that MSCI and other index providers are similar, it's just that MSCI is unique just in terms of the sheer number and scope of their indexes. I believe they're the largest index provider in the world. They look at the market capitalization or size of all the publicly traded companies and then rank them by size. And market capitalization is calculated by taking a stock's price per share price times the number of shares outstanding. And and then they rank all of these stocks around the world. And there's thousands of them. Their standard index, the ones that we launched the Asset Camp service with, the geographic indexes, contain about 85% of the stock market and includes mid and large cap. The large cap on its own is essentially the top 70% by size, but the top 85% would be mid to large, their standard index. And then the small cap would be the bottom 14%. So the total is about 99% coverage. That's how they do it by size. And then they'll break out all these stocks into, are they a value stock or a growth stock? And they use different metrics. They do use what they call a multivariable approach. So they're looking at, for example, on the value side, they look at the 12-month forward earnings yield, which is the inverse of the price-to-earnings ratio. And that's one of the insights we'll share here in a few minutes. And they look at the dividend yield, and and they look at the price-to-book value. So those are the things they're looking forward to, and they're ranking every stock based on those metrics. And they're also ranking them on on the growth style. So they're looking at the the growth rate of the earnings per share, both short-term and long-term. And they're looking at long-term historical sales per share. And so they look at every stock and they rank them based on these growth and value metrics. And they do this statistical analysis. Some are clearly growth stocks. So they have a very high growth score, very low value score. Others have a very high value score and a low growth score. Some are sort of in between. And for those stocks, they could be represented in both a growth and value index. It's just that their weight in each index combined would equal their weight, their percentage weight for their overall weight in the global stock market. But that's how it's done. And every index provider does it differently. We have found in looking at growth or value indexes, particularly if they're size-weighted, market capitalization-weighted, that essentially there's a lot of overlap between, let's say, the MSCI USA index and the S&P 500 index or the Russell 1000 because the the methodologies are similar. They're size-weighted indexes. And so there's a lot of overlap. And that, that means when you want to, for example, implement a particular index fund or ETF that covers a specific index, it doesn't have to be the exact index. It just has to be the right category, either small cap value or small cap growth, large cap value or growth. That's how it's done. Now, what about these five insights? The first is maybe more inside baseball, but it's realizing how distortive measuring the valuation of stocks by a price to earnings ratio, the price divided by the earnings over the previous 12 months, for example, compared to doing the earnings divided by the price, what's known as the earnings yield. 
on Money for the Rest of Us Plus, our, our premium membership community, we've always shown earnings yield calculations. It's a percentage. And with an earnings yield, the higher the earnings yield, the more attractive the valuation. Whereas with price to earnings ratio, the lower the PE, the more attractive the valuation. Here's the thing, though, and this is a function of the mathematics. When earnings get very, very low, let's say during a global recession, that can really send the price-to-earnings ratio super high. For example, the World XUS Small Cap Value Index in January 2010 had a price-to-earnings ratio of 1,250. So that the average price-to-earnings ratio over time of international small cap value is between 19 and 28, depending on how we calculate it. It was at 1,250, but that was the price divided by the earnings. But if we did the earnings yield, the earnings divided by the price, it was 0.08%. So small, but not 1,250. And and in some of our valuation charts, there's, there's price to earnings ratios even higher than 1,250. In fact, on the charts, we have to cap them at some level so that the the overall chart doesn't get distorted. And I just didn't realize how big an impact that was. And it it matters because of some of those more extreme price-to-earnings ratios for some stock indexes, it can bring up the overall average. So the average PE for international small cap value stocks is 28.7, but it's being driven by those very extreme PEs on, on certain periods. The average earnings yield, earnings divided by price, is 5.2%. And if we do the inverse of that, effectively, if we take the average earnings yield and convert it to a price-to-earnings ratio, we get an average PE of 19. And that's where I say, well, the range goes from 19 to 28 based on how you calculate it. If we calculate or if we derive an average price-to-earnings ratio for international small cap value, it's 19. But if we actually use the PEs to calculate it, it's 28. That was a surprising insight. And, and it's why I think using earnings yield on a trailing 12-month basis and on a forward-looking basis based on analyst estimates is actually, to me, more intuitive. It takes a while to get used to, but it's more intuitive because you don't get the extremes, but you can, you can still see how many, for example, standard deviations, how far away a particular observation is from that average. So that was the first insight. The second insight is that earnings are much more cyclical than I realized. And again, that insight comes from actually seeing a chart. Some of the the charts that we show on Asset Campus, we show trailing 12-month earnings, forward-looking earnings, but we also show the actual earnings themselves for the index over time. And it's surprising if you see the actual earnings, so not a growth rate, but the earnings themselves, you can see how cyclical they are. So world XUS small cap value, international small cap value again, saw its earnings fall 99% for the year ending January 2010. That's huge, obviously. But then earnings increased 704% for the year ending November 2010. So nine months later, we had earnings up 704% because they collapsed and then they rebounded quite significantly. And as we've discussed in the past regarding the mathematics of compounding, when you lose money and lose 99%, it takes a 200% or more return to to recover that. 
And in this case, the, the recovery was much, much greater. But just with the, the, the price to earnings ratio, because of the volatility of earnings, it can distort if we judge a particular segment of the market, let's say international small cap value, based on their average one-year earnings, because sometimes it fell, it fell 99% and then it recovered 700%. The average one-year earnings growth for international small cap value is 54%. And that's, that's not a number we want to plug, plug in as an estimate for earnings growth, but that's based on the math. And so a better measure would be the average five-year earnings growth, which for international small cap value has been just over 8%. The earnings themselves, if we go back to 1994, international small cap value earnings have compounded at a 7% rate. And then the average five-year earnings growth rate's been 8%. But the average one year has been 54%. And that's why when we're coming up with estimated returns in the models on Asset Camp, we give users different options. They can use the earnings over the past 10 years. They can use analyst expectations for earnings over the next three to five years. They can use the average earnings per share on rolling five-year basis. And, and the whole idea is that we can estimate expected returns looking at a decade based on the dividend yield, the earnings growth, and whether the valuations change or not. And those are the three building blocks of returns. One that I've used as an institutional investor for a decade, as well as an individual investor and an educator. And it's what we teach on Money for the Rest of Us Plus, And it's what we're using on Asset Camp. But that's the second insight, just how variable earnings can be and how that can distort the one-year average earnings per share. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com david. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts, high-yield cash accounts where your money can earn 11 times the national average, and automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. 
So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. A third insight is that currency has a much larger impact on returns of indexes, index mutual funds, and ETFs than I realized. If you're a dollar-based investor, unless you specifically invest in an ETF or fund that hedges the currency risk, the compounded returns will show the impact of the currency. And if the U.S. dollar strengthens relative to the rest of the world, a U.S.-based investor investing overseas and those returns being translated back into U.S. dollars, they'll have a lower return when the currency strengthens. And so the return in local currency, you're, you're investing in a Japanese ETF, the Japanese stock market returns are much higher over the past decade than they are when those Japanese returns are translated into U.S. dollars. And the impact can be huge. And until we actually put together attributions over the past decade, and we run the, do this once a month, for all of those indexes, and we look at, here's the 10-year return, here's how much of that return came from dividends, this is how much from earnings growth, this is how much because of valuation adjustments, the index got more expensive or cheaper, and then our fourth is the currency impact. And if we can rank those, and if we look at the past decade, the 10 years ending July 31st, 2023, emerging Europe and Middle East, that currency impact those currencies weakening relative to the U.S. dollar led to a 6% return drag each year. So over the 10-year period, 6% annualized lower return was due to currency, which is why emerging Europe and Middle East had a negative return over the past decade. Emerging Latin America, the weakening Latin America currencies relative to the dollar cost 6% also annualized over the past decade. Japan's return. Japan's currency, the weakening of the yen, led to a 4% annual drag for investors that were invested in a Japanese ETF that was unhedged for currency risk. And I, and I saw this in our model portfolio examples and in my personal portfolio. In June 2020, we added the Wisdom Tree Japan Small Cap Dividend ETF, DFJ, to our adaptive model portfolios. We did it on an unhedged basis, and we should have invested on a hedged basis. Over the past three years, that ETF has returned 5.4% annualized. But WisdomTree has the same ETF, a hedged version that protects against fluctuations in the currency. That's returned 18.3% annualized. So the currency over the past three years has cost 13% annualized. Now, hopefully that will reverse, and it has reversed some this year, Is but until we started doing these attributions, we weren't able to systematically see how big of impact currency can have. The fourth insight that I've gotten from Asset Camp, now that we have growth and value indexes and are able to see the different building blocks, the dividend yield over time for growth and value, the earnings growth, the change in valuations is that value stocks' earnings growth is highly competitive with growth stocks. In fact, in some areas, value stocks' earnings grow faster than the growth style of investing. And the whole point of of growth investing was that the earnings grow faster because the dividend yields are lower for growth stocks versus value stocks. 
But that, that isn't always the case, and especially not the case outside of the U.S. If we look at the world ex-U.S. value versus world ex-U.S. growth, the average earnings growth, this is the average five-year earnings growth, is 2.6% for international value and 2.2% for international growth. Now, these average earnings growths I'm sharing do include the impact of currency. So the fact that the U.S. dollar has been in an extended period of strengthening, that will impact even these five-year average earnings growth elements, which is why it's important to be able to use different methods. We can look at it on a forward-looking basis where the earnings expectations are higher. But putting currency aside, international value, average earnings growth has been higher than growth. The same holds true for international small cap value. Earnings over five-year periods have grown on an average 8.2% per year for the small cap value versus international small cap growth, 6.6%. So the value stocks, earnings grew faster over multiple periods than the growth. The same holds true for emerging markets value. The average five-year earnings growth for emerging markets value has been 4.2% versus 2.9% for emerging markets growth. And again, that includes the impact of the strengthening dollar. Only when you get to the U.S. do we see the growth more meaningfully outperform value. So overall USA growth, 7.6%. Average five-year earnings growth versus 3.8% for USA value. For mid-cap and small-cap, growth for both of those has been around 9.5%. Average five-year earnings growth for mid-cap growth and U.S. small-cap growth. And it's been around 6.6% annualized for mid-cap value and U.S. small-cap value. That's over average five-year periods. What's interesting, though, it really depends on the time frame. So if we look at the most recent decade, and we can rank on Asset Camp all the different indexes by, we can rank them by dividend yield, earnings growth, valuation adjustment, the currency impact, the returns, the beginning or ending price-to-earnings ratio. But if we rank those 46 indexes by the average earnings growth over the past decade, the first growth index is in spot number 10, and that's World XUSA small cap growth. It, it had nominal earnings growth of 8.4% over the past decade. That's an annualized number. The index with the highest nominal earnings growth over the past decade was World XUSA small cap value, 12% annualized earnings growth over the past decade. Emerging Latin America also had just over 11%. International small cap, 10.6%. U.S. small cap value, 9.1%. And there are a number of other indexes, but the actual growth indexes are further down the list. Again, reinforcing that fourth insight, that value styles don't necessarily have lower earnings growth than the growth style, which is why investing in value or overweighting value can be so profitable over the long term because you get the dividend yields, which are in many cases twice as high, three, four times as higher dividend yield with the value indexes than you get with growth. And then if the actual earnings growth of the value indexes is competitive and you get a lower valuation, that's what leads to value outperforming growth over the long term, which brings up our fifth insight. Value isn't dead. Three years ago in episode 261, that was the title, Is Value Investing Dead? 
And value had lagged the growth style investing for 12 and a half years, a very long time. And it, it took a great deal of patience to be a value manager. And the whole premise for being a value manager is that growth investors are overly optimistic and their earnings don't come in as high as expected. And we've seen that. But over time, growth can get more expensive and that can lead to the appearance of higher returns until those valuations correct. We can have lengthy periods of growth and value. And the, the good news is, is since releasing that episode three years ago, value investing has trounced growth investing. iShares MSCI EFA Value ETF, EFV, so this is non-U.S. value, has returned 11.2% annualized over the past three years compared to the iShares MSCI EFA Growth ETF, EFG's return 3.7% annualized. The same holds for the U.S., on the U.S. side, the Vanguard Growth ETF, VUG, has returned 9.4% annualized over the past three years, while the Vanguard Value ETF has returned 14.1% annualized. So it is possible for value to outperform growth. The underlying drivers suggest that's more likely once you factor in the dividend yield, the earnings growth, and the valuation. And that's where a tool like AssetCamp can be very valuable in calculating expected returns and in analyzing what happens by doing attributions, but also digging deeper and looking at these charts. In conclusion, then, I've shared five insights from indexes that is, have come from being able to analyze them in a way that I have wanted to be able to do for decades and finally can just starting last week. On Money for the Rest of Us, we have a number of services. We have the free podcast. We've been doing it for over nine years. Lots and lots of free information there. We have free investment guides on the Money for the Rest of Us website. But we also have two premium services. One is Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This is a comprehensive education service that covers multiple asset classes. It has a member forum. We have model portfolio examples. I share my portfolio trades in what's going on there and additional educational items, including a weekly premium podcast episode just for Plus members. That's our longstanding service. Last month, we launched Asset Camp, which is different. We use insights from Asset Camp and charts from Asset Camp on the Plus membership site, specifically in our monthly investment conditions and strategy report that Plus members get. Asset Camp currently is just stock index focused. It has close to 700 valuations and earnings chart. It has performance attribution for 46 stock indexes, including regional, country level, value, growth, small cap, mid cap. We chose to keep it separate from Plus membership because we had to build it on a different technology platform and its tax treatment from sales tax is different than, than plus members. A, a plus membership is a community and in most cases isn't subject to sales tax. Asset Camp is a subscription. The point of this episode isn't, isn't to sell you on either service. It's there as a resource if you would like additional portfolio help. We have a comprehensive service like Money for the Rest of Us Plus. If you just want to have a joyous time learning a ton about stock index funds and ETFs and the underlying drivers and what's going on, Love looking at charts, better understanding your index fund investing than asset camps for you. It's a much lower price point than Plus Membership. You can learn more about Plus Membership at moneyfortherestofus.com and more about asset camp 
at AssetCamp.com. We'd love for you to check out either service because these are the tools that we use. We use them because they weren't available anywhere else. And now we're making them affordable for individual investors. So please check those out. Those are five insights from Stock Indexes and Fun, episode 443. Thanks for listening. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation, but not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.